everybody. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast today. Mike Erie here with um, really the co-host, with the co-most, Tim Stafford. And then to complete the Trinitarian kind of formula we've got going today, Susie Lind. Everybody, Pastor Susie Lind. Uh, if, if you're new to the podcast, Susie has been with us on a, what, a couple episodes. Susie is uh, an overseer, an elder and a pastor at the church where I serve, and in some very real ways is my boss. So I am uh, living in sin and disobedience, <laughs> according to many in the kingdom. So Susie, it's great to have you on. <laughs> it is so great to be oh, here. Oh, <laughs> Susie. Yes. Wow. So Susie, and you're you're in seminary right now. So what's your, what's your class? Mm-hmm. It What's hasn't started yet. Like a brown belt. I know. Um, it's gonna it's gonna start in a couple weeks. Okay. And uh, it's called I think it's called Intro to Global Traditions. Ooh. And it's like the primer for all the systematic theology classes that I'm gonna get to take. Wow. So that should be interesting. I'm hoping it will redeem some things for me. Hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fuller is so great. I really trust the people over at Fuller Theological Seminary mm-hmm. in the Pasadena, California. They've yes. created a really great program and it feels very um it feels very uh true to how the Bible represents Jesus and God mm. and also very nice. generous to the people of God. So wow. I really like it. Wow. Mm-hmm. What's the degree? If you go all the way through it, what's the degree that we will be adding to your Twitter bio? A master's in theology. Yes. For now. Yes. Mm-hmm. For now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it could it could yeah. go elsewhere. I mean, who knows? You never know. You never know. I mean, who <laughs> thought we were going to end up here? <laughs> not nobody. Not, not me. Not one of us. Nope. <laughs> No. And Susie is originally from California, served at some uh, some bigger churches there, moved to Nashville, and has been, you've been here six years, right? Seven. That's what I said. Seven years. Seven years since you 2015. Due, yes, you are due a Sabbath year um, if we're following Levitical uh, A law. Sabbath from Nashville? No, just a Sabbath from life. The okay. land should lie fallow, so that'd be great. Yeah, uh, I'll take Timothy, that. Timothy John, yeah. um, have you started teaching again? Oh yeah, we're in. Oh. We just finished three weeks. Okay, what's the what's the assignment they've got this week? Uh, two classes have to write narrative essays. The other class has to write an expository essay. Ooh, are are they given prompts, my friend, or are they their own? No, nope, I allow them to write anything they want. They can pick what their topic. It just has to be within has to be a narrative topic for one, expository okay. for another, and so forth. What level do you teach, Tim? It's 101A, 101B at the university. Oh, cool. So it's like the composition classes that everybody has to take, everybody's favorite class. Yeah. Yeah, so let <laughs> no them write. No English majors. No English majors, right, right. This nope. is just general general ed. Yep. yep. But I, I, I got to awesome. say, man, you would be probably the coolest professor ever. Yeah. If I showed up. For in sure. A, Christian college. I try, to, I try to make it fun. If it's interesting for me, it's interesting for them. Right. And then yeah. vice versa. I want them to be interested in their paper topics because then I have to read all of them. So if they get to pick their topic, it makes it better for me. 
Yeah, that's fair. Better for you, better for me. And Tim, um, what's the latest? The fi- there are fires ablaze every uh, August and September, like clockwork, in Northern California. Yeah, if you if you go back to last year's episodes, at this time, we're talking about the fires. Yeah. But but this time they were close, right? To it's you, pretty close. It's about 15, 17 miles from here. The air wow. quality index today is four hundred. It's just smoky outside, so you, we're just you, watching it. You know where we don't have fires today? On the air. Or other than Northern California? Well, I was thinking Tennessee, my friend. Yeah. You have a face I'm for Tennessee. I'm looking at uh, Canada. I wrote an article mm. on how. Uh, you and Ozzy waters... Osbourne are leaving <laughs> yeah. the country? I don't think we can That's take right. both of those happening at the same time. <laughs> We were, I was reading an article on the the oceans rising and yep. how um, yep. most production is going to be happening, like food and everything else is going to be happening in like Minnesota, Michigan, and then central Canada. Mm-hmm. In the next hundred years or so, that's going to be the coasts will be kind of obsolete. And then overcrowded countries will be looking and the middle of Canada is pretty empty. So I was like, well, let's just buy up some property now. Yeah. Maybe head up there. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like Canada. I like Canadians. My, my husband was born in Canada, so um, he Whoa. then had to. I know he was a dual citizen until he turned eighteen, and then he had to give it up. And oh, really? now they've changed. Yeah, but they've changed the law now, so he could, you know, pursue dual citizenship. And he's seriously contemplating it. He should do it. In case we have to. He should. You do know, it. you never know. Yeah. Just put a spot out there for some tents, and we'll bring some tents. There you go. I like that. A compound, um, if you will. Yes. Yeah. So we're we're super optimistic over here at the Voxology Podcast about the future of life. A little bit of existential dread hanging over everything. So so today, Susie and Tim, we if we haven't beat this horse enough, one more week <laughs> of culture war emails, responses, and then I've got some content to get through that I'd love your opinions on um susie had to make special effort to listen to the last two episodes which was minorly hurtful i i assume that all of my friends listen to the episodes uh the day they drop and of it i'm, I'm mm. really disappointed to find out that's not the case well um, when your friends have to preach because you're doing other things we hey don't yo. have time to oh, listen oh snap <laughs> fair so point so there's that yeah, there is that. Okay, well, I'm going to move on, ladies and gentlemen, to some emails, because that was very true. Um, so this... But I am going to say that after those last two episodes, I am with Tim. Oh. Whoa, Team Tim. I'm on That's Team right. Tim. That's right. <laughs> nice. Yes, we have very much a Twilight division happening in the uh, Voxology audience. Team, who was the werewolf? I don't know. I didn't watch. Those. And then Team Vampire, right? Wasn't that it? Batman. No, come on, guys. Twilight. Nothing. Yeah, Batman. Wasn't he the vampire? Oh, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, kid? Patterson. Yeah. I I don't know. I never saw it. I just know there was a werewolf, and there was a vampire, right? And they were at war over Bella's heart. And I think so I, read I feel the first like book when it came out, and then I did not go forward. I never got into it. I read all the other ones, all the other series that came out around that time that were mm-hmm. similar, but that one I just couldn't. 
Yeah, I started it, but then Fifty Shades of Grey came out, and I, that was, you know. Oh, gosh. That's more I know. your genre. <laughs> yeah. So, just kidding. Um, so, so, <laughs> so, Susie, why are you Team Tim? I mean, besides the fact that he's more, far more handsome and intelligent. Um, <laughs> because, first of all, I'm an Enneagram 3, and I really like being effective. That's the first thing. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's totally fair. All right. I, I find great joy in being effective. But um, I, I think, I mean, if I understood what you were trying to get at, Tim, like there is, I, there is this like, you know, something in me that wants to do something and be a part of something that is going to bring about change that looks like kingdom, that looks like Jesus. Yeah. And so... I mean, I get. I saw both sides for sure, and I mm. just kept feeling like there's got to be a way to, there's got to be a way for both, and it all depends on how you understand, you know, what your definitions of faithful is, what your definitions of effectiveness is, and all that. But like, you know, I take voting for instance. You know, like I think a lot of Christians don't. Some some Christians maybe maybe not in the last couple of years. I don't know, but some Christians don't think that it's really of any kingdom value to vote because we don't put our hope in that you know all the different reasons whatever but i actually think it's important to vote if you've been given a right to vote and people have fought really hard for the right to vote especially for certain groups of people that there is something about doing that 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 is an um that to me for me it is part of being faithful to where god has me and to the people that he has me with so I vote according to what I think is um, as close to kingdom dynamics as I can get, but I think it's important to participate in that and to to know what the issues are and to know who the people are and to 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 pray for the people and to love the people regardless of you know whatever side you pick. You know, there's got to be a way to cross over that. So so i i guess i felt the angst that tim was feeling of like wanting to do something to participate in something to to like move and embody some sort of action or way of being that would provoke something toward the kingdom and and why is it that involvement in a church the church isn't that thing the fact that well, it's that's framed. Where I totally agreed with you on that. Oh, or I wish oh. that the energy, I wish that the energy was put into the church, but I don't think it has to be either or, you know, I think it right. can be both. Both inside the church and outside the church. Yeah. I think the people of the church should be not necessarily like, you know, the people running for office or whatever, but they should be the people serving the land. And the, mm -hmm. the people of the land, regardless mm -hmm. of what position or power they hold, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when good Christian people disagree over mm -hmm. what exactly it means to serve the land, then we find ourselves in a bit mm -hmm. of a, a situation. Um, yeah, and and that's the thing that I think we're like we've been so informed by all the rhetoric and the politics and the the partisan politics and the culture and the news and the we've been informed by so much that we're constantly like we constantly have this feeling that we have to pick a side that we have mm. to do one or the other the the binary thinking is all Whoa. over the place 
but it's that's not how it's meant to be i don't think well okay first of all you've raised a whole bunch of wonderful issues Susie. so thank okay. you <laughs> but secondly it's time to take tim down a notch here we go and and um we got an email tim already does that enough we got an email from somebody that quoted i'm having trouble seeing both sides on a lot of these things and that was a oh, direct was quote from line. you that was a subject <laughs> line and then he says don't worry tim we can tell he says i've got a couple of critiques and an affirmation i guess <laughs> i love it he said it's interesting to me that tim is so critical of people co-opting the word woke and the meaning of the word changing Aren't you an English teacher? Yes. And the answer is yes, he is. Is that not how words work? Not always. It's similar to me in the way that homophobic and transphobic oftentimes have nothing to do with fear, as the name would imply. That's debatable. But not affirming the, quote, liberal side of whatever is being discussed. And then he uh, references a Twitter thread. Kind of reminds me of this conversation. This thread, Twitter thread, irritated me, but I couldn't figure out exactly why until your podcast. So thank you, Tim. I think these sorts of labels and broad brushes serve only to other people, um, casting them with a broad brush to dismiss them. So I am really going to have to work on not doing that in my head before that mindset can alter my actions and reactions. Secondly, the quote, third way has definitely gotten a bad rap as it sunk into our culture. Properly, I think it would describe what Mike has been harping on as being outside of the political divide and saying this is what the church stands for rather than picking specific issues to, quote, claim for God. It definitely gets used more as a cliche now to dismiss any judgments from either side about politics. So, Tim, consider yourself critiqued. Here comes the affirmation. Oh. I just want to thank you for your show. I have really benefited in my outlook of the church on seeing people from a dramatically different perspective, wrestling with a lot of the same feelings I experience. I generally find myself continuing to disagree with you guys, but I actually really appreciate it. It's good to see people and hear from other listeners as we try to center around our love for Christ and each other as we work in the world. How great is that? That yeah. to me is literally the best compliment we could get. Hey, the, I the disagree, disagree with everything. Engagement. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that what we're trying? I mean, the whole point of the podcast has been that. So I, I enjoy reading the critiques we get. And there, there are a couple of me that I've not yet received permission for. There's one that begins, have you listened to yourself? And, <laughs> and the answer is no. I do not go back and listen to myself. Dear Lord. I have to every week. I know. And Tim, that's... The editing what, process. Just listen back to the things I said out loud and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> I would hate that. <laughs> right? That would be rough. Now, yeah. here's, here's a couple of questions for the group to chew on from another listener who named himself the other Mike, which I love. Um, or maybe I'm the other Mike. We're not quite sure. But he says, Mike and Tim... I've enjoyed the discussion of Christian involvement in society over the past couple of weeks. While I agree that a church first answer to the question, as far as Mike argues, is the place to begin, I also think that the church can and should engage with wider society in Christ-honoring ways, as Tim suggests. Damn it. Here are a couple of questions for the discussion. 
Uh, Tim and Susie, what does it mean for the church as a corporate body to take up the cross and pour itself out on behalf of the world? Sometimes it feels we are saying that culture warring is the only approach to societal engagement, but can the church center the same folks Christ would center in a Christ honoring in Christ honoring advocacy? Ooh, that's a good question. What do you guys think? All right, Susie first. <laughs> can you or, ask the question one or more I time? Could, I could start talking. What does I it mean talk. for the church as a corporate body to take up the cross and pour itself out on behalf of the world? So sometimes it feels like okay. we are saying that culture warring is the only approach to societal engagement, but can the church center the same folks Christ would center in Christ-honoring advocacy? So is it possible to engage beyond um, or through the church in advocacy for the same people that Christ would? Yes. So I would say initially, yes, because all things are possible and the church was Jesus's idea and his plan. And so, yes, it's possible. I think we are at a current place where we find ourselves in a bit of a mess with that because <laughs> the first part of the question as a corporate body that in and of itself is problematic because there's so much division within the corporate mm -hmm. body that it it's a it's a very um broken and disjointed and fragmented body mm -hmm. so there you know where people have um you know, there's the differences between unity and uniformity. Like, I don't, we're not going to have uniformity, and that's wonderful. But, but there's so much um, infighting. I feel like that we've already messed up the whole thing that Jesus said to the disciples originally about being known by their love, and him being known by their love for one another. So. Mm. So we find ourselves in a bit of a, play, a, a quandary because we've lost some credibility in terms of being a corporate body that is meant to be poured out to serve the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think the church is to reflect Jesus in a broken and poured out way. Mm -hmm. um, but our brokenness is the shards of our brokenness are pointed to each other and there's not... Um, it's it's hindering our ability to pour ourselves out for for the world because i it feels like um as a corporate body we're more the the louder voices and this is not everybody because it's it's just it's not everybody i know that um but the louder voices that are being heard and remembered are the ones that are being broken and poured out for themselves. Mm -hmm. Come on, that'll preach. And that's really hard. And it's hard to want to be a part of that when there's something in your wiring from God that is meant to be for others. Mm. So you're, we're like all kind of at war within ourselves because we're in this place that's not how it was meant to be. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, to do what the answer to that is but i know that there's there is a way because jesus said that there was mm -hmm. and i believe Good. him nice <laughs> nice yeah watching it just uh, everything makes me think about and this was the quandary and the conundrum with the last two weeks about 
how how immediate your community is and how the role that the church plays within that immediate community. So like right now with the fires, that's a lot of the churches that are opening up for families to come and stay, to park RVs, um, you know, to provide food and clothes and, and kind of just those kind of needs for all these families that have been displaced. And so you see that and there's a subconscious thing that I think a lot of people in the community expect that. They expect the churches to be these safe locations that open up for people while the more county governmental side is fighting the actual fire. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It's hard to do that on a corporate level. It's easy to do that on the communal level. If the churches and the pastors and those people are focused on doing that kind of stuff on loving their community in that way. We got an email recently from a pastor or somebody who was checking in say, uh, who has been practicing the center set thing within their church and uh, was giving us like an update on it like this is this is what how this has been going and whatever and i think that's really interesting if we Mm -hmm. saw a lot more churches that were like hey we're just going to focus on this we're going to be this change here and if that started to happen everywhere you'd start to see these ripple effects that kind of went through on a larger scale but I mean, just this morning, there was like a whole thing with uh, Brian Houston, the Hillsong guy, like kind of trying to clamor back to gain his power back and ranting about cancel culture. And then the pastors underneath him kind of ranting on it as well. And it is that like, how'd you say it, Susie, pouring yourself out on your own behalf or whatever, or like that Mm -hmm. you see this like grasping. And we had a lot of conversations this week over text message about like, um, uh, Christian nationalism leading to uh, look, looks like it's leading to violence, an advocacy for violence on behalf of the church and stuff. And so we see that on the corporate level. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I don't think the corporate, I don't think you can have a corporate response. I don't think we're capable of it. Well, if corporate just means a group, then we're capable of doing it very locally. Yeah. On a long, so, very small corporate level. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and again, which is, which is more important, faithful or effective? Right? In that instance, faithful to me is by far the most important, that we're modeling the alternative to something. And whatever mm-hmm. small, whatever, whatever common denominator we have to boil it down to to find a group of people who agree, um, I don't think that's a bad thing. So yeah, absolutely, I think that the, in that case, it is faithful is effective. Yes, and that's that's my point. Is that the right. the most effective thing the church can do is be faithful to her identity as the church. Yeah, and that that identity is cruciform, exactly in the manner that Susie is describing. That we are to be broken and poured out. And what's that mean? Well, you go to Philippians, and and we've talked about this before. To be on a cross means that you had the rights and privileges that Jesus had as God, and yet he did not use those or exploit those to gain more, but relinquished his rights and privileges, took took on the most humbling form that you could imagine, and then humbled himself further by suffering a torturous death. And God's validation of that way of life was to give Jesus the name that is above every name the name of Yahweh, that Yah- this is Yahweh's very own life manifest through Christ. And that the church then becomes the place where re- rights are and privileges and power are relinquished 
for the sake of self-sacrificial love. That's, that's the corporate witness. Well, how does that look? Man, it looks, it looks like tiny little bitty things like letting RVs stay in your um, parking lots and gathering food and blankets and clothing, which aren't so little to the people who need them. But right. it, it also looks like um, advocating for the things that we see in the Gospels that were closest to Jesus's heart, regardless of how the individual policy positions may play themselves out. We're to be agitators for the poor and um, the marginalized and the outcast. And, um, you know, we see that, we see Jesus reminding Israel of that. And I think Jesus would mind the church of that in the same way same way. So I, I think whether it's a couple, a family, three families, 100 people, 500 people, the number doesn't matter. It's the, it's the imagination of those people as they look out upon the world and, and think to themselves, well, the only way we're going to get anything done is through the political process. Or screw the political process now not entirely because i think susie's on to something about you know we are invited in to participate it but screw that hope in the political process to solve this problem right. we're just going to start doing stuff you know what i mean and that and and that can look a thousand different ways i just think what social media does is it makes us focus away from anything local, anything indigenous, anything that's dirty and bloody and earthy. And we just have all of these postures that we proclaim to the world about, you know, what side of the culture where, you know, we think is the right one. And in the meantime, like our neighbors go unknown, um, our schools are uninvested in, right? I mean, there are tons of little bitty things that aren't, little bitty that churches could do but just don't because we've been so yeah. captured by this imaginary binary war that we've got to fight mm -hmm. well it's going to have to and I, i've said this before but in hanging out with so many people who are 18 19 20 21 that generation is so uninterested in the performance and they're so much more interested in transparency and authenticity so the hyperbole, which I think is what initially with this whole conversation was, was pissing me off, is that there is like, we have a very hyperbolic response to everything as the church. Like that's where the thoughts and prayers thing kind of like manifested, not the whole church, but in general, there's a lot of like out of sight, out of mind. We can have conversations about things, but in reality, like the people that keep talking about like, you know, these, these, uh, figures who had huge effects on culture martin luther king or gandhi queen or, elizabeth you know, they all yeah. most of these people died because of their advocacy right so it's not yeah, a happy she, ending queen elizabeth a lot of times did for, not. right but a lot of these people that we talk about uh, on both sides that both sides will kind of lift up for their own reasons those roads mostly ended poorly for people yeah and so hyper hyperbole doesn't take you to that place a but lot of times yeah. the being involved does. Yeah. And so it's not a romantic, you know, we're a very romantic culture. It's not a very romantic idea, especially no, those like, of us who grew up in the eighties. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of us who have been instructed that the meaning of life is to do great things for God. And it's like, yeah. God does, God does great things for God. You know, like, I mean, I love what Paul says, make it your ambition to live a quiet life, 
to work with your hands yeah. and to be at peace with everybody. Well, there. let's yeah. start there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I think that's interesting. So what effectiveness does, that our love affair with it, causes us to have to define meaning, value, significance in terms of great things for God. When I just don't, I don't see that invitation anywhere. Yeah, it's numbers, results. So what I hear you saying is that invitation is to be faithful, and in our faithfulness, we God, God will be effective. Dude, Susie Lynn, tweet it. <laughs> tweet that somebody right now. See Mike straight to social media. I want to see it. I, I want to see it straight on social media. That's right. We're going to change the world through Susie tweets. And um, yes. <laughs> That's exact. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think that is dripping off of the pages of the New Testament mm -hmm. when Paul um, is addressing the church. I just absolutely. I mean, even when Peter says, "Live such good lives among the outsiders that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and mm -hmm. lift up God," and you're like, "Hmm, what an invitation that is." So, so. Yeah, those guys' lives didn't end well either. Right, which which is why Jesus uses the whole carry your cross image, right? Take up yeah. your election, our execution chair, guys. Take up your lethal <laughs> injection. I mean, that's, right? All right, man, you guys rock. Um, Tim, did you have a... But there is, like, just the last no. little thing. Like, there is so much... I, it's just, like, I'm thinking up through all this as we're talking about it. So this is all very well thought out thoughts. Um, like I instantly start thinking of things like gerrymandering or there's just like, there is still so much discernment involved in how we navigate. I, I just don't want people. I feel like we, we have, we're always in so much danger of just becoming idle and prayer has become something where it's like, well, yeah, I did my part. I thought about this in conversation with God period. And where there is like there is discernment and there is ways of making sure that people aren't taking advantage of other people just because of the way the system works and we should be aware of yeah. that and when we do go to the booth we should know that this is these these votes that is just a dot on a piece of paper do have ramifications and effects on the lesser than in the community. For sure. So I never want to I just want to always kind of hold discernment in the top of yeah <laughs> like every conversation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, yeah. and that discernment is best done in community, for community, right? Yes. I mean, that's the, it's not yes. just me sitting down, yeah. you know, thinking about what I'm thinking. It's, it's, well, I'm a, I'm a four or five. So that's where my best thing. This is happen. Enneagram talk. That's what ladies the and gentlemen. drawn and the doors locked. And Tim, has Mike told you that he's a five? I've no, had, are you? Did you I've, take the no. test? I thought you were an eight. I have been tested through the metal of Susie Lind and our staff team, <laughs> and they have determined, and I've since acquiesced to my identity as a Enneagram five. So for those of you for whom that means something, now you can typecast me in all the ways. Um, but oh, I have a four is. wing, so I'm going to insist <laughs> that I am oh, a, the most unique and special five that there is. So it's going to be Are you be awesome. convinced that you have a four wing? No, I'm not. I don't even really know what any of that means. I, so I trust you, Susie, to kind of guide me through that. Um, I, love, I love this. Um, 
this this is the same uh, same gentleman, uh, and I'll pick this up because we got some stuff to get through. But he says, "Where is this church of which Mike speaks?" I agree that the church should model a different way of being in the world, uh, but where is this happening in the U.S.? My understanding of the ideal in the New Testament is that the church should cut across lines of age, race, socioeconomic status, and that the new way of Christ is displayed in the practical spiritual unity displayed by members of these different spheres of life. Yet, the church is divided along those lines very often. This being the case, how do we go about the corporate witness that Mike suggests? In one sense, the church is the first answer to the question of how the church should gauge in society. And then I love this line. In another sense, the church is the primary obstacle to its own faithfulness on that account. Boom! Man, you win, you win the statement of the day right there. I love that. Go tweet, tweet it. it. Ladies and gentlemen, well, I think it is happening, and I think you'd never know it's happening because it's not sensational. And um, it's, I, I had a conversation with a, um, a, a guy yesterday who is one of our uh, uh, participant in our community, and um, he was just asking, you know, like, um, oh, I lost my thought. What were we just talking about? What were we just talking about? Where does this kind of church yeah, yeah, yeah. exist? Yes. And he's like, you know, the only churches in my area are white, all white churches. And and he's like, well, what do you do with that? And I said, well, I mean, obviously there are other options out there in the kingdom um, that we can go explore, but there, there are different kinds of white churches. There are some white churches that are very much willing to engage in the beginnings of the practices that would make their community hospitable to people who are not white. And then there are churches who don't do those sorts of things. And so I would very much be on the lookout for churches that embody the beginnings of practices that hold out the potential for hospitality towards people who um, have not traditionally been served by that body as at least a first step and a way to say, well, do we do we talk about racial disparities? Do we talk about economic disparities? Not because we're we've politicized these issues, but because they're central to the Old Testament prophetic witness and central to the concern of Jesus. And if the answer yeah. is no, well, okay, then great. If we're content just being a majority culture in a majority culture, okay. If we're really interested in seeing the church grow beyond that then there'll be signals that churches will send out about that being the case. And so I think there are churches that are doing this. Absolutely. Well, and, and I would add to that too, like, does that church exist for itself or does it exist to Come help on. the people that gather there go and bear witness in their lives where they may not be you know, in a majority white situation, or it might be more diverse in their workplace or their kid's school or even their neighborhood, even though all the people that come to their church are white. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's really good. That's right. Because right. we have to kind of stop confining church to come the on. place where we gather on Sundays. Damn. Yeah. See, that's, that's my shepherd right there. That is my overseer right there. Now, Ladies and gentlemen, um, great. Tim, did you have one you wanted to get to, or do we want to do we want to kind of move on to no, move, move forward? forward? Okay. All right. So I want to run some stuff by you guys, 
and I'd love to see what you think. Um, partially, one of the reasons why I want to run this stuff. Is this a pyramid scheme? This Yes. <laughs> Have I got an invitation for you both? Um, how would you like to be your own boss? How would you like to work from home? How would you like to make up to $10,000 a month uh, by simply investing in a few people? Um, that sounds great. Yes, actually. it does. Um, so Tim that actually sent- feels like my job. <laughs> Except for the well, ten thousand dollars a month. <laughs> you know, we could change that. We could absolutely change that. Totally. So so sorry. No, no, no sorry. Um so Tim sent me um a TikTok of some was it a TikTok or an Instagram? I, I don't know. It was a video of a guy who was saying, hey, um, I'm really concerned about the rhetoric being used by some of these very public, uh, socially conservative oh. figures, you know, who seem to be laying a theological groundwork for justifiable violence against people with whom we disagree. And uh, what he talked about, your buddy Sean Foyt saying something. There was a few articles that were out there. So it wasn't just like a... His, he was responding to actual to the to these voices that were saying these yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and these are I'm sorry, these are political voices or or, or no, like no. That's Christian the point. leaders. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's the that's Super. the issue. And and I know like Christian nationalism has now taken on the same stigma as woke for the I mean, it's like, you know, we just throw the terms around. Okay, great. Um but there is an idolatry that has been clear to anyone with eyes to see that consists of the fusion of a vision for America that defines itself in Christian terms. And, um, and so I was reading that Rolling Stone just had an article about the GOP nominee for Pennsylvania's governor. So these are not fringe people anymore how there was a, a Zoom call right before, a week before January 6th, where, um, um, and, and we have a transcript of, of the recording, and it was this political figure, but I want you to notice the language um, that he uses to talk about politics. Um, he, so this was, he was on a, a Zoom call um, that was um, organized in order to install Donald Pump, Donald Pump, Donald Trump or Donald Pump in the White House. All right. So, so he, um, he invokes uh, revelation. Uh, we know that we overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and not loving our lives unto death, which is a fascinating picture of being martyred for Jesus that's now being hijacked mm-hmm. to reinstall a, a political person. Um, he, he said, we remember 1776, our declaration of independence, speaking God's truth and word over what would become the United States of America. Um, he tied Pennsylvania to God's divine plan from the battle of Gettysburg to the fate of flight 93 on nine 11. Um, God, I, um, I pray that you would help us roll in these dark times we fear not the darkness that we will seize our Esther and Gideon moments. 
Um, we're surrounded by wickedness and fear, dithering and inaction, but that's not our problem. Our problem is following your lead. Um, and then he prays for January 6th and he says, I pray that we'll, we will seize power that we've had given to us by the constitution and as well by you providentially. Um, and, uh, and I, I was sitting there going, oh, wow, what? And again, you can argue, and, I, and the issue isn't whether or not you're a fan of the former president. We've said this a thousand times. The issue, that's not the issue. The issue is uh, the, the dressing up of this particular moment in um, Christian symbolic imagery that um, is blasphemous, utterly blasphemous and absolutely anti-Christ right and and not only that so yeah. this is the guy running for governor of freaking pennsylvania um which i thought okay my goodness um th that's not a fringe you know that's not a fringe figure um <laughs> then there was a pastor from um uh the church that uh brian houston spoke at arguing that if you misunderstand God's call to take over the nation, then you don't understand the heart of the gospel. Um, uh, oh, and there was one more um, where Eric Metaxas was comparing the, the January 6th to the Holocaust um, and the persecution of, of patriots in both instances. And then Governor, Governor DeSantis, who is not a minor fringe figure you know uh quoting ephesians about um the uh, armor you know, of god right the armor of god and but he swaps I've out the schemes of the devil with the schemes of the left and um you know brothers and sisters um there is a culture war that jesus did engage in um it wasn't the culture war about what to do with rome it was the culture war about the corruption of israel and, and, and I'm using that term like pretty loosely, but um, there is a culture war going on in the church that we, we've referenced where this sort of dynamic isn't, and I, I know people want to just write it off, but it's gaining traction and it gains votes and it influences Christian imaginations about what it is to follow Jesus in this present world. And so, you know, we may all be sick of talking about culture war and, and, our, and the faithful church's response to it, but this isn't going away. This rhetoric is not going away. It's heating up. And um, I think we are in dire need of Christ-like, cruciform-shaped communities that stand against not the world, but for the sake of the world, stand against the idolatry that is captured the imaginations of some among us um, along political lines. And obviously this just this doesn't happen on one side, but my tribe certainly falls in line with one side over the other. So um, I just wanna, I wanna marinate a little bit in some texts and I'd love to know what you guys think. So please interrupt, please talk me down, please scream and disagree and whatever else. And Susie, if I need to be fired, it could happen right here. Oh. We could have it live for HR. Now, you guys up for this? Yeah. Your your face Let's is do it. your face is. If Mike if Mike gets fired, 
do I send my resume to you? Or? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Okay. We're yes. actually looking for a children's pastor, Tim. So if you want to yes. be a kid's pastor, yes, we'd love Please. to have you. He already is. He already is at home. He doesn't need. He doesn't need to go anywhere uh, for that. So, um, so Jesus was engaged in a culture war. Uh, of his time and and the culture war as we all know and we've talked about this before on the podcast had to do with what do we do with rome uh imagine if america was taken over by al-qaeda and um people were being in mass people were being um tortured by having their heads cut off um and you would like walk down certain thoroughfares throughout our country and there would just be piles of heads you know, sitting along the street, there there was the desecration of all the political and religiously symbolic monuments of Judaism. Um, and in in fact, I mean, they they very easily viewed the Roman Empire as an agent of this great Satan. Um, what were you going to say, Suze? Well, I mean, isn't that actually the fear that a lot of people yes. have? Yes. But I want to. I, I want like, That's exactly even right. down to the Al Qaeda bit. I mean, yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, people sending videos around about ISIS and how they were going to come and destroy totally. us. Totally. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So, so that was the great. It wasn't just a fear in first century Israel. It was what was happening. Yeah. And and to be God's chosen people and to have. Um, uh, the the place where heaven and earth meet and Yahweh a record of Yahweh's faithfulness and overcoming all the foreign armies and yet we live in this ridiculous and blasphemous set of affairs the Jews were tearing themselves apart about what to do in response to that political situation right as, as we know the Pharisees put their hope in the resurrection and the resurrection wasn't just life after death the resurrection was the symbol of god's entire program to purge israel of foreign invaders and restore israel at the head of the nations uh, forgive israel's sins and place israel back into its original vocation and so the pharisees put their hope in resurrection and that's why they insisted on righteousness and holiness um and insisted that the rules regarding Levites and how they ate meals would be applied to the common uh, people of the land. I mean, it was a huge deal. And you had people that were Sadducees who held political power, who gained a great deal of wealth from being in cahoots with Rome. If you can't beat them, join them. And then you had Essenes who, um, for the, the, they hated the corruption of Jerusalem, and so they literally went out into the desert and formed their own sort of monk-like communities. Um, you had zealots who, 40 years from the time of Jesus, will provoke uh, Rome to war. Now, this is all familiar, and we all kind of have this background in view. I but, have a question, though. I need absolutely. some clarity on. Can, yes. can you talk more about the Pharisees' hope being in the resurrection? Yeah, so when um, uh, Paul in the book of Acts is sitting before the Sanhedrin, and which is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, I've been put on trial because of my hope in the resurrection. And a dispute mm -hmm. breaks out that allows you know him, I don't remember the exact circumstance, but to get out of the trial, at least it's immediacy. So resurrection was a, um, a shorthand way of talking about the Jewish hope of the Old Testament, which included 
peace on earth, which included the Messianic age, but was, was, uh, it also included a Davidic ruler who would come and purge Israel. And, um, and so resurrection stood for the age to come, of which life after death would be a part, but bigger and more significantly for the political situation, Israel's enemies would be defeated at the hand of Yahweh. Okay. And so resurrection was the shorthand, or <coughs> N.T. Wright will argue forgiveness of sins was another shorthand way of talking about that final return from exile when their Israel is back in the land fully as Israel with Yahweh as their king. And um, and so so you know Paul talk, uses this shorthand in Acts when he talks about it's, um, because of my my belief in the resurrection I'm being persecuted and the Pharisees all kind of rise up against the Sadducees who denied the resurrection but not just the resurrection of life after death but they denied the resurrection in the ways the Pharisees understood for all of its political uh, implications and that's why the Sadducees were just fine um, collaborating with Rome they didn't have that same sort of eschatological urgency that the Pharisees did that God would come to their rescue does that make sense yes that's, That's a great question. Thank you. No, no. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So Jesus was very much in the middle of a, a nation that was roiled by how do we respond to po this political thing where we've lost our country. And the reason I, I try to paint it in those pictures is because the way Jesus responded to the politics of his day obviously becomes super instructive about how we respond to the politics of ours because the same options are still being advocated for right there's the anabaptist notion for which i'm quite you know sympathetic of we just need to be faithful we just need to be faithful right we just need to be faithful there's the there's the you know sort of christian nationalist movement well we need to take back our country doggone it and if that means force whether it's through force through legal systems, force through political systems, force through the appointment of judges, or force through military or at least armed force, um, we're willing to do that. We have folks that um, that that simply, in the name of Jesus, seem to kind of float along with wherever culture is going, and want to baptize that in either direction. And we have folks that like advocate the Benedict option. We should withdraw into communities where we can just sort of put our heads down and uh, obey God. And um, and so I see a great deal of similarity between the options, the old creation options that are available to us in response to our political moment, and the options that were available to Jesus and his followers regarding the politics of his day. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Sorry, I'm doing so much talking, but I want to get to, I, I, I want to do all of that setup to say there were times in the Gospels where the political power of Rome and the messianic community of Jesus intersected. And those are so freaking instructive. So I'm thinking particularly of John 18 when Jesus is appearing before Pilate. Right, John 18, 33, Pilate, 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 then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, king of the Jews here was political. That's a political title. And Jesus responds ever helpfully. Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Which I just love. I just love it. 
Am I a Jew? Pilate replies. Your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And then I love this. And this would make a great bumper sticker. My kingdom is not of this world. <laughs> Boom. Tweet that. Also would make a great brand for a clothing company. Yes. Yeah. That is. Confused me forever. I was like, what is now? <laughs> that is how you start a revolution, ladies and gentlemen. You take a Bible verse and stamp it on some stuff. Um, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And, and one of the things I just want to notice is that he's not saying his kingdom has nothing to do with this world. He's saying his kingdom is not of it. It can't be defined by it. It doesn't play by the same rules or conform to the same values and priorities of the world system, right? That is a massive difference. Because, and even he says, but now my kingdom is from another place, implying that at some point it won't be, <laughs> which I love. But notice he's not saying his kingdom isn't political. He's saying how his kingdom is political and the thing, the one thing he identifies is that if my kingdom were of this world and like the kingdoms of this world, my servants would what? What do they do? They'd be fighting to keep them from being Yes, arrested. that's it. That's the defining characteristic of the politics of the kingdom versus the politics of the world. My servants would fight, right? And, um, and, and to me, I mean, this, it couldn't be clearer in terms of the trajectory than this goes, because what does Peter do when uh, they come to arrest Jesus, right? What's he do? Well, naturally, the, the, the normal dynamic is to fight. Exactly what Jesus said doesn't characterize so his followers. Are you, are you connecting this to the whole idea or the whole sentiment or vibe or whatever it is where we Christians feel like we have to protect Jesus, that we have to protect Christianity? I am. Is, it, is that and, where you're going with this? And more, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I was tracking. Well, no, thank you. Thank you. It is wonderful to have, and again, I'm sorry I'm doing so much talking in this section, but I, I, I want to set a table for a conversation, mm -hmm. and this text seems really central to me. So the word fight doesn't mean just violence, but it's the application of power towards a specific outcome, and that power can come in many different ways, right? You can have manipulative power, political power, legal power, military power, you have the power of example, the power of influence, the power of love, right? So we're not talking about fighting literally, although certainly Peter did that and many Christians are willing to do that. Um, but we're talking about f from a place of fear, having to rush to protect, hold on to, demonize and label others in order to protect something. And it could be God, that could be the country because we're God's chosen people. That could be, it's, it, it, what I'm trying to do is directly undercut the rhetoric that I just read from those people with the words of Jesus yeah. himself. And I know a lot of our listeners are already here, but I don't think we realize how mainstream, at least not all of us, 
how mainstream that sort of language has become. And it seems like it's just intensifying. And I think there is a, um, there is a role that the faithful church has, not in, not in concerning itself and being dominated by the partisan politics, but by presenting an alternative to, quote, other Christian pra- political practices and definitions that I think expand the kind of the world's imagination of what the Church of Jesus should be. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, and it's it's also a really good warning because even if we think we're in the, you know, place where we're, we're we get it and we're we're doing it right or doing it faithful or whatever we all have the propensity towards this totally. like even like we can we're all susceptible of of doing the same thing with our you know trajectory yep. going in a different direction yeah. or whatever we do you know all like do it protecting yeah i mean like when we say that's not that's not jesus like totally. and that's not how i see the gospels and how can you, i mean i had a friend tell me yesterday she's like i don't understand how anybody can read the bible and be a republican well i know a lot of really great people who are republican but you know like she's just she just doesn't see it that way and so we we all have that propensity to to want to protect what we think is righteous yeah yep okay so Boy, and so fight good. for it the I'm trying I'm trying to take everything you're saying and look at it today. First of all, like the so the stuff that you were referencing was like, well, I want to figure out how to discern this cuz I think this is really important. And the the discernment is you, important to you. It is. But within this context, like the so I sent you that pod that interview with um uh, on Holy Post, the Bob Roberts guy. Oh my gosh, I just listened okay. to that this morning really too and I loved compelling, it. Compelling, <laughs> very scary conversation, right? So yeah. he goes and has has been li- uh, like Hold on, hold on. Can I can I interrupt this for a second? Susie, what you're saying is that I had to ask <laughs> you to listen to the last two, but you mm-hmm. voluntarily and excitingly listened to the Holy Post. Is that is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, because they had Bob Roberts on there. Okay. First of all, it's Bob Boberts is how his name works. <laughs> Robert and Robert. secondly, he is a great guy. Okay, and he's go a ahead. junior, so he's a Robert Robert of a Robert Robert. That's just a lot. <laughs> oh, wow! I, no, I'm seriously squared. like I am so fascinated by that man's ministry yeah. so, and the and way he does. And he's a pretty conservative so guy great. too. So, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know he he's worked amongst extremist groups, and his what the thing that the conversation they were having is how much Christian nationalism is well like way down the road already on the path that every one of these extremist groups have taken in other countries. And he's like, we're in trouble. And so mm-hmm. he's talking about the conversations, the lives he's lived with, with, you know, crazy Islamic terrorists, like different things like that. Right. And, and saying like, we're already, it's a 40 year process or something to that extent. And we're really well, way far into that already. That's a wow. cause for concern. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah. no one realizes how scary this is. So in the conversation of that, I thought that was an interesting thing because it's like what we're talking about, like it's not just like these people have a crazy belief system. It's like this this is what prompted this whole thing two episodes ago was like as people fight for power and now we see violence growing within the rhetoric of that, this is a really big cause for concern. So within what you were just saying too, when I think about who America is or who we are within that conversation, we are kind of Rome within that scenario, right? I mean, so the way that we approach 
things being taken out of context or whatever is a little bit different than what like we have to we have to really think about what Jesus is saying and then discern and apply it to how we right because yeah. that's that's our always our problem right the I'm whatever it is a verse out of context whatever you're saying as you always say yeah. like the yeah, I can do I all, can things, do through all verse. things through a verse exactly. taken out of context. So we do that with everything, right? Well, Jesus said this. So then it's like, right. well, who was he speaking to? What was he speaking sure. about? And then what can we discern from that to our situation? So I'm trying really hard to be like, okay, in this scenario that you're setting up yeah, and the section of scripture that you're using to talk about that, where are we now? Mm-hmm. How do we take that and look at the current situation? How does the church navigate the current American system that is now starting to advocate for violence and get extreme on some cases on a very whatever, but that is the platformed voice, obviously, because it's the loudest voice. So how do we do what you're saying within this right context? Yes. And, and to what Susie's saying, without demonizing or becoming self-righteous in the process, yeah, because that just does. That's not even doing. Because then anyway. you've stopped. Like, you've stopped being faithful. Mm-hmm. It's an old creation dynamic. Yeah. You're now. You're now yeah. back on the original spectrum of options that Jesus resisted. So the analogy I'm trying yes. to draw is the passion that people had for Israel and the debates about how that should be handled can map overly simplistically, but map nevertheless onto certain political options that we have about America when we think America is going the wrong direction. Right and right. progressives think it's going backwards, and um, and conservatives think it should go backwards, and there we go, giddy up. Because I'm trying to I'm trying to discern what does it mean to be faithful, and so I'm saying that the defining characteristic of the followers of Jesus is that they don't fight. Now that doesn't mean they don't resist, right? Because we've talked right. about creative resistance. Yeah. But um, that they don't fight. They're not. They're not. Um, they're not getting off of their crosses in order to hold on to or protect something, right? But we can protest in a cruciform way. We can provide the alternative in a cruciform way. We can vote in a cruciform way. But but we have to unlearn a whole bunch before we get to that cruciform way because we're just been discipled to look at everything politically. It's like the thing that was so dumb about mm-hmm. when, when Biden forgave student loans is that I, I have conservatives thinking that's a horrible idea and that everyone should carry their own load. And then uh, progressives quoting you know Levitical passages about the forgiveness of debts. And the temptation of both sides to rush to the Bible to provide a proof text for their point of view is what is the most concerning part of that whole thing to me. Yeah, it's the largest voting block on both sides of the fence. Yes, and it's just like, the, this isn't what the Bible's doing. The, the Bible is, is, is mapping a symbolic universe that plays by an entirely different set of rules. And so, I'm in, um, of course, I'm called to engage. But my primary concern isn't what's happening in the world, it's, what ha- it's what's happening in the church. And, and I can go on the troll, you know, the troll route and just constantly virtue signal. Or um, I can be a prophetic witness like, like our friend Shane and some of the other great people that we've talked about. And or I could be part of a community that seeks to be faithful, that seeks to rid ourselves of those hypocrisies, to 
uh, you know, put off self-righteousness, but does have a vision of Christian faithfulness that does not include fighting to get our country back or fighting to make sure the other side doesn't win. We've given up the other siding of, of human beings altogether. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and this is, man, this is exactly the conversation I wanted to have. So thank you. I, I love presenting some stuff and then just reacting a little bit to it to go, okay, but what's that, what's that mean and look like? Um, because the, the reason power over becomes so attractive, whether you're Peter or whether you're, I don't know, the, the, the Pharisees or whatever is, is fear, right? I'm, even when we talk about the rise of uh, Christian nationalism, it's very easy just to succumb into kind of fear mongering and then fear responding, you know, and we want to continually hold out that there is nothing so important th that getting off of our crosses should be an option. There's nothing so urgent, right? And, and I know that is such a unpopular opinion uh, to hold because... I don't think it is. I think it's a really misunderstood opinion. Okay, that's fair. That, I think you've been saying that, and I think a lot of people have been emailing and saying like, oh, that's compelling. What does that mean? All right. You mean like the getting off our crosses or not getting yeah, off like our it's crosses? A, yeah. I, you know, it's a metaphor. I mean, so mm -hmm. people are like, okay, that sounds cool. Uh, what? You know? <laughs> so in, in the current society, what does it mean? in a practical sense, to stay on your cross within this conversation. Great. All right, and what Tim. does it mean to get off of Tim. your cross in this conversation? Yes. I'm holding up notes with red scribbles yes. that is attempting to begin to answer that question. And I'm Sweet. eager to see what you think of my thoughts. So I want your <laughs> thoughts to respond to my thoughts. We're thinking about thinking. We're thinking about thinking. Because 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 there's one more text that I think is really determinative for this, and it's the text where um, the two brothers ask for positions of influence and significance when Jesus comes to his kingdom, and the others were indignant about this. And and Jesus speaks of power here directly, right? He says, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, so all of the kingdoms of the world, lord authority over." Uh, the people under them, uh, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, right? Instead, whoever wants to be great must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must become your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? So you have mm -hmm. the complete flipping upside down of the use of power. Um, the problem is we... Uh, we think that there is something so urgent, we're willing to get off our crosses and exercise power in non-Christ-like ways. And the way we exercise power would be labeling and demonizing and, and feeding our minds um, fear-based information that causes us not to live with generous blessing and hope, but um, really destructive infighting and labeling. Um, we, we value our American citizenship so much that we're willing to, you know, kind of tarnish our kingdom citizenship for the sake of it. So the issue is, okay, so how do we hold this? So here are some thoughts. 
First of all, there's a fundamental difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world and all of the kingdoms of this world. And that is the use of power and the understanding of power and authority, its place and its role and the willingness of the communities to exercise it in a way that's labeled fighting. All right. And that is a fundamental distinction. That doesn't mean, however, that all the kingdoms of the world are equally as bad. So there are, I would much rather live in the American version of the kingdom of the world than I would want to live in other versions of the kingdom of the world, right? So it's not wrong to look at the kingdoms of the world and think, hey, this, this one, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a fan of this one than I am the other ones. The problem comes when we take the one we're a fan of and we equate it with the value system of the kingdom of God, which fundamentally confuses what God's kingdom is and what it is to be a current nation state. Makes sense so far. Right. Yeah. So Yeah, which is the difference between being a being, you know, a patriot in the 2016 to 20 sense of the word and being proud and grateful that you live in a country that allows you to exercise liberty and totally. certain freedoms and things like that depending on your yeah. position yeah right? exactly yes so 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 just, i'm sorry to interrupt you go ahead no it's okay i was just just because you're somebody who's critiquing the current state of affairs doesn't mean that you hate your country correct and that's what we've made it but yes. but you're saying what I hear you saying is like it it's not a bad thing that the kingdoms of this world some of them are like nice places to live. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean they all they're all fundamentally fundamentally not the kingdom of God. So they all have right. their problems and they all have their idolatries. Right. Um, but when I hold that kingdom of the world as higher in value and more dear to my heart than the kingdom of God, then that's, that's when right. I've slipped into Absolutely. whatever the nationalism. The pyramids seem pretty cool. Mhm. Mm yes. Yeah, exactly. Until you realize who built them. Um, <laughs> right. But but so so the, the kingdoms of the world aren't all equally awful. And to have affection for your neighbor, uh, it's just so hard for that not to turn in to preference that God has, you know, come to redeem humanity. But really, we're most interested in the humanity that's just like me. Um yeah. Uh, and that's something just real quick like the yeah. who's the pastor that I texted you and asked you about in New York um I don't remember Rich Belotus. oh yeah yes yes and listening to him talk about I was asking about a book that he had written and um but he has a very 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 diverse church mm -hmm. and so to listen to him talk about like how as a pastor the importance of diversity just for what you're saying like there's a there's many wonderful things and Susie, you talked about some of them in one of the emails did too like asking about like where is this church well one of them is apparently in new york but in queens like, yeah what the diversity offers the community but also what it offers this conversation because it forces you to think about you're literally in close proximity to people of dramatically different socioeconomic situations, different racial backgrounds. And so they all bring all that in. And so a, a conversation or a sermon on immigration all of a sudden has a very different, like it just brings so much, yeah. I don't know. So it's really, you see the, what the, it does to the accountability of the pastor. Um, you see what it does to 
just what it is to find the truth of a message because the diversity demands it. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting in this, in these, in this regard. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So point, <clears throat> point one would just be, Hey, there are many different versions of the kingdom of the world and some of them are better than others. True. But, uh, and this, this is the no duh statement, but it's so important. Jesus did not come to tweak the kingdoms of the world or to dress up the kingdoms of the world or to give us the perfect version of the kingdoms of the world. He did not come to give us a new way of having power over at all. So the hijacking of the Bible to, to endorse any version of the kingdom of the world is already out of bounds. Yeah. Because what Jesus is doing cannot be mapped on any political spectrum that human beings have conceived of. Absolutely. So this is a radically different way of understanding power, authority, leadership. The, I mean, and and so we can we can sit back and we can say yes, hallelujah for the American version of the kingdom of the world. Um, and we're grateful for the freedoms that we have and the sacrifices that have been made utterly and absolutely. But to start rummaging around the text that tells the story of the kingdom of God, looking for Bible verses that validate specific policy proposals, I yeah. think is, is such a huge hermeneutical mistake. That is not at all what Jesus is doing at all. And Israel too, right? I mean, we're not, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so American the way that we kind of rummage through the Bible looking for, for verses to sort of reinforce our opinions. So that, that to me is the biggest point, is that Jesus isn't coming to offer another version or a better version. And that's why the, that's why the disciples ask him in Acts 1, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Like, okay, all this love your neighbor stuff and love your enemy, that's great and appreciate you dying and coming back to life but now are we going to do the resurrection like the rest of it and his answer was ah nope nope see you later i'll give you power you'll be my witnesses which is the same word as martyr interestingly enough to the ends of the earth okay cool third point our ability How many points are you gonna make uh <laughs> that's a great question all right let's do let's do two more and then we're done. Okay. I think, Susie, I think you spoke for the entire Voxology audience when you asked that question. Well, I have things to say back on point one, so. Oh, well, go, <laughs> go. I, I don't have to get through all these. No, no, no. I want to hear point one thoughts. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm still like, I'm still, I'm, I've still got John 18 open right here. And well, I'm go. like. <laughs> Giddy up, Susie. I'm sorry you felt like you had to save it up. No, I wanted it well, in no, real time. I, I was like waiting for the, you know, because yeah, I mean, I like hearing what you have to say, but it's interesting to me that moving on in the passage in the conversation with Pilate, oh. he says, he says, for this, I was born and for this, I came into the world to testify the truth, period, mm. full stop, mm. you know? And, and then he says, like, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And I think that's so interesting because, you know, if he came to embody the truth, he he came to witness to the truth, to bear witness to who God is. He embodied everything that is true and lovely about God. It it's just it that right there 
it speaks to the way that we cherry pick and we 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 find our side and then we find where in the bible supports our side the thing that i was thinking about when i was listening to the last two podcasts when you were talking about coming off of our crosses there is this interesting thing to me that in different streams of christianity um people kind of hold on to like a part of the identity but not the whole entire identity right mm -hmm. so remember how like it was really cool to say like you can't have a resurrection without a crucifixion yeah. and like you know people loved jesus on sunday but they didn't want to talk about jesus on good friday and i i think it can be the same the other way too like i think the people who tend to be more um you know pursuing the power and the you know the and this is i i recognize that i'm completely like typecasting and and painting with a broad brushstroke here but the people who tend to be like the dominion theologians and things like that they tend to be more charismatic and focusing on the power and the resurrection and all of that stuff right mm -hmm. and so they embody that part of it but i think too like we have to be careful that when we when we focus so much on the cruciformity of jesus that we also embrace the power of the resurrection but that we hold them both together equally and we hold them both together as valuable and i think when he says that he's come to testify to the truth he's saying both both and so if you if you if you only hold on to one without the other then you 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 miss what the other has for you for for us as a community what god is trying to say to us through the other thing whether it's the cruciform life or being a people of the resurrection or whatever it is that that is the most that, that rises to the top of your vernacular when you talk about your faith and you talk about what kind of community you are and what when you talk about what kind of faith you have so that's what i think is so so interesting with with the power grab because he's saying He's saying, it seems to me, and I could totally be reading this wrong. I mean, we have, I did not prep for this. I'm just looking at the pages on the text. It seems to me that he's saying to Pilate, when Pilate is asking him, are you a king? He's saying, I came to, I came to bear witness to the truth. I came to, to show all the things, you know, because don't those, don't the people, I guess this is a question. Don't the people who think that, you know, we're to rule, you know, all the kingdoms of the earth and have all that power, don't they use the creation narrative and genesis to support that by the rule and subdue language yeah partially so, for sure par partially for sure but but even in that it's like when jesus came to witness to the truth he's showing that to rule and subdue a kingdom isn't to have power over but to serve right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so even in that we just take the one piece mm -hmm. that we think was important and we make it all about that mm -hmm. so i don't know if that connects now because we moved on from it a while ago but that's what was no that's you that's can check good. that whole thing yeah, yeah yeah i don't know no no susie <laughs> heck no man I mean, what, so so what I'm hearing in that is the um, it's very easy in Christian circles, no matter what side you find yourself on, to sort of emphasize one thing to the exclusion of the others, right. and and you're not picking up. Like it, it is fascinating to me why what were the conditions that led um, Jesus followers to vote 
for uh, the former president after four years of having him in office. Um, I, that is interesting right. to me. They obviously there, something is being tapped into that needs to be understood, right? Um, and I know there are other people who, well, how how could you consider yourself a Christian and vote for Biden, Harris, and Hallelujah for all of those wonderful conversations? But uh, well, what, what I was tapped into was fear, right? I mean, he was he was capitalized. I mean, I I don't know if it's okay to say this, but it seems like he was really counting on the fear that was evoked, right? Well, my opinion is that he does very much play into a, into fear of mm. of certain social classes in America. Yes, I do, and and I and I also think, you know, the 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 other side does too. And that's how mm -hmm. you raise money. For sure. For sure. You know? So the whole thing is drenched in fear of the other and fear of the other getting power. So we have to take power because this is what the other side will do if they mm -hmm. get it. And yeah. not all of the caricatures of each other sides are wrong. I mean, there are those voices out there that seem to say, yeah, if we did get power, this is what we would do. Um, I'm trying to get us off of that entire the, that entire way of having a conversation to say exactly what you're saying, Suze, that um, when, you, when, when political, when politics comes up, the, the thing I want populating my imagination is the church. The counter can mm -hmm. be, well, okay, but there is no perfect church. Exactly. Ex mm -hmm. Yep. That's exactly and precisely That's the true. point. That's the call to faithfulness right there. See, and I'm trying to translate all this in real time to apply it because the what you're saying, the political system is practical. There's an issue, you vote for it. Yeah. If enough people vote for it, it happens. End of story. Yeah. Uh, to but you're right. Like it is a even that process is a power over process mm -hmm. at almost at the base level, right? You're like. There yeah. are two two sides. You vote the yes majority or no. rules. Yeah, you vote exactly. You, yeah, so there are two ways. Just to vote. by definition, it's a. So, in looking at operating in a world that is that way, what is the practical way of being, like cruciform? That's another mm -hmm. rhetorical rhetorical state or idea that we use, and we start to the more we use them, they they just become. You know, they become nouns instead of verbs, right? Like yeah. they they change their their purpose and in uh in our conversation the practical elements of being cruciform and not practicing a power over dynamic within a culture that does that in a practical way does that make sense the absolutely like, that's that seems to be like the that seems to be the the rub the missing whoop yeah the rub <laughs> well you know it's fascinating tim because point number three addresses uh -oh. that <laughs> directly man we're really like for how unorganized we are this is fairly organized first of all it's divine it's not unorganized i i i you're organized we don't know where you're there's going there's a piece of paper on that desk with red pen all over it yeah <laughs> yes that's true that's that's on the other side of true. the country from me well the air quality is clean and um no fires here buddy except the yeah, fire of the lord in my office right the now. fire of the lord Pouring down on the hey snake yo. handlers, so that's what I'm talking about. Um, so, so yes, we're invited into a process 
that results in power over some group, right? Because we're yeah. we're voting, and there will always be a loser in every election. Correct. Um, yeah. So point three, and and you here. I know what you're going to say. This isn't practical. Okay. Well, I think it is. Your your ability to vote is not your unique calling or vocation as a kingdom of God person. Your participating in the democratic process is not your unique authority as a kingdom of God person, right? So well, soon it'll be a theocratic process. Well, your ability to influence how the sword is used is not your unique ability in the kingdom of God. So, so here's what I mean by that. I, I, I want to relativize the political partisan process in saying that. In other words, for far too many of us, our political identity is more important than the Christian one. Or yes. the Christian one is fleshed out in almost exclusively partisan terms, right? So, mm -hmm. so, so my participation in the American democratic system becomes an extension of my Christian identity, and I want to unhook that to say, absolutely not. So part of being cruciform is not primarily identifying myself with tribal labels and seeing others according to their tribal labels. My, the, the, the exclusive authority I have as a kingdom of God person and the identity I have as a kingdom of God person is a, is a gift recipient person on the cross who um, is invited to stay up there and to participate in a process gently, kindly, and thoughtfully that does exercise power over, um, absolutely, but to, to participate as not an extension of my Christian identity, but rather having a, a vision for what a faithful church can be. So where I'm advocating for what I would define as the common good, um, even though people may disagree with my definition. In other words, how I vote when not in a voting booth matters more than my vote in a voting booth. So, so we've, we, we, we've limited how yes, I vote every day. You're voting every day. So right. um, okay. you're voting either for the kingdom of God or some version of the kingdom of the world by how you treat people, by how you drive, by how you, how we, Mike Erie, in, like individually exercises power over people. I'm voting all the time, either either for the upside down kingdom or just what's considered normal in the way that I parent, in the way that I'm married, in the way that I uh, exercise work responsibilities or oversee people. I mean, all of those things are, are issues where I'm voting. So the fact that we lower our political involvement to a partisan identity that it gets expressed every two years or more in elections and that that small identity causes us to lose sight of the fact that we're always voting against the powers and the principalities and that vote is far more important than whatever i'm doing in the freaking booth on election day right i'm not saying it's not important i'm just saying it's so small in comparison if you really believe in justice then how you vote with your life money and time is far more important than how you vote come election day i'm arguing that we've reduced political involvement to partisan politics and and little marks on paper every four years or two years and i think that is a radically individualistic 
and um, shallow vision for what political involvement should look like. Right? I'm yeah, it's, it's a way that we shun responsibility and personal agency. Within. Absolutely. Yeah. As long as I voted according to my tribal boundaries, yeah, then I've take done care my job. And, That's right. right. My job's done. And I'm saying, no, no, I want to relativize partisan politics to the point where my vote on an election day is a, a simple extension of how I see myself in my ordinary everyday life. So I want to vote for justice in my ordinary everyday life. I want to vote for a certain view of money. I want to vote for a certain way of understanding the world. I want to vote for the kingdom with how I make a thousand little choices every day, right? And that so that, can I give an example just to yes. see, make sure I'm I'm understanding what you're saying? So, for example, if I lived in an area of the country where it seems like there's gerrymandering and redlining and all of that happening, mm -hmm. yep. rather than just holding out hope for Election Day to vote for the candidates who are opposed to that, then I might throughout those two years leading up to the election start working on helping people in certain neighborhoods get registered to vote and asking them ahead of time canvassing those neighborhoods to see if they they're going to need rides on the day of election so that they can they can vote or whatever like that would be one example of that right or yep. if i'm if i'm living in an area where there's lots of book banning and um a lot of distress over public education then maybe I show up to school board meetings with cookies or I, you know, yeah, write letters to and teachers and I write letters to teachers and librarians encouraging them. Yeah. Or yeah. I have yeah. a neighborhood like reading club on my front lawn or something like that. Right. Yeah. Are those like the example, like examples of living it out outside of just the voting booth, but like being a person who engages other people with kindness yeah. with the things that i think matter and reflect might reflect i mean those particular things some of them might reflect the kingdom of god some of them in their specifics might not but yeah right what's well, the right. practicality of the sermon on the mount so like when you said yeah. the cruciformity of friday and the what the power and um whatever of sunday yeah yeah like the the and i think those are really interesting because that's the way i thought about the sermon on the mount and then the new creation stuff. Mm -hmm. One was like the cruciform practicality of how do I live amongst other people yeah. and how do I do it well? And then the other one's like, hey, there is, there is a power entity thing happening and there's a really solid relationship between those two things, but they, they require different, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, but you know what I mean? Like I living mm -hmm. every day in a practical way of like, what is, what was the Sermon on the Mount advocating for? And then, and doing that in between all these things. But then there's the power of a kingdom that is here and now that is also part of the conversation. So there is these two different spheres yeah. that require a different, I don't want to say practicality or discernment anymore. So I'm trying to think of different words now. I need a thesaurus for these longer conversations, but, um, <laughs> I think that's really compelling because it does require, like when you think about the center set church stuff, that is what you are kind of Mike just advocating for is like, this is what that was talking about. How mm -hmm. do you make a place for everybody to feel safe and invited, but then also how do you live amongst and love the people within that? So they are not othered. So they are not boundaried out of things, that's whether right. that's 
physically with gerrymandering or that kind of stuff or just relationally amongst the community. Yeah. Yeah. Any posture. I think that's compelling. Yeah. Any posture that invites me to see myself as over another. Yeah. Even is out of bounds. Gift giving or, yeah. Gift giving. The- um, um, uh, com- sympathetic. Um, yes. You know, totally. self-righteous behaviors that, that are just existential drugs to make me feel better about having money or whatever. I mean, like any, any of that stuff is automatically out of bounds. If we're coming under people or alongside people to serve and to bless, regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not they change or whatever, then now, now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Yeah. And, um, and I do think there are very practical ways. I mean, those are great examples, Susie. Um, but I'm also thinking of churches that don't leave poor neighborhoods, but stay. Um, yeah. And white churches that partner with those churches, let's say. Or like, I, I mean, it can be as, as big or as small as all of those sorts of things. Um, I just want to, and, and this is the biggest, this is the biggest of the four points. Um, we cannot give the impression that my opinions about how the kingdoms of the world should be run are prerequisites for entrance into the kingdom of God. Hmm. And that's exactly what we've done. That to be a Christian just (laughs) means, yep, everybody, but but particularly in my tribe, to be a Christian means to be a conservative Republican. And, um, and, And I'm talking as a child of the Reagan and Bush years. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. That was just assumed. I never thought to even question it. Um, It was just in the water. And so as I've grown up and have questioned it, and I've realized, oh, well, that's actually not the case. That represents the, the pollution of the Jesus witness in such radical, harmful ways. I don't know that it's recoverable at this point in America. I mean, I don't other than just at a very local level. Um, but the, the idea that I, I somehow endorse that a Jesus follower has to hold these partisan opinions on things. Good Lord. That, that is, that is death. It's, it's so interesting because in the last week I've had two conversations with people in my neighborhood. One was the guy that I was, I ran into when I was walking and the other was just this morning with the cashier at the grocery store right up the street. And both of them have also moved here from California. And so I just started asking them like, oh, how long have you been here? And and both of them, you know, just sort of freely gave me all of their like they've been here for this long and they came here because they're, you know, both of them said political refugees that mm. all the values in California are not their values any longer and and they don't like seeing what happens happened there and they're so grateful to be here because they love God and and guns and the lady today said I, I love God and and I love I love guns and I love I love my freedom you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it was interesting because the conversation started with me saying oh I'm from California too yeah but they never asked me neither one of them ever asked me a question that would out of any curiosity as to whether I agree with them, you know? And there was just this assumption made that, oh, you're from California. And so you must have moved here also because of all these reasons. And, 
and they don't even they neither one of them knows that i'm a pastor and if they i mean they, they would could probably take that in two different directions i guess but you know yeah they, they might assume certain things because i'm a pastor yeah and some of those assumptions might be right some of them might not but i just think there's just such a lack of curiosity that yeah. that Preach. is about people that has kind of made us into this like well we just assume that everybody is where they are and who they are and with whom that they are with without mm -hmm. ever being curious that there might be some you know nuance in that or divergent yeah. qualities that we're not expecting i mean yeah. i don't know that's really good that's really good Suze. why don't we end on that we'll let Susie, not let her Susie will have the last word you want to go for another hour? We could, and our no, audience no, would hate so us. This is so long. It is. It is. <laughs> is I it nor It's not normally this long, is it? Nope. Tim's going to do his magic and cut all the... Well... Yes. Yeah, the file I gave him last <laughs> episode, I forgot to turn the recording off, so it was like five hours. And true. who knows? Who knows what he heard? Probably some... Tickling of Seth. I'm not going to lie. That happens. Dad. Yes, son. Yeah, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of that. <laughs> oh, Susie, thank you. We just think you're the best. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. Oh, man. Sorry about my little tirade on John 18. If but it was that, no. no, I think that was good. No, Go that was in. great. I, I'm, I'm bummed I didn't you really, didn't like, I don't interrupt. Well, I just don't, I don't have the thoughts fully formed, but it was, it really was what I was thinking about a lot. Like, I, and you know, this is just a question, not for the podcast, but I guess for further understanding, like, you know, We're I think recording. when you grew up and well, whatever. <laughs> We're not turning <laughs> this, this off. Goes. Like when, when you grow up in the, when we grew up, grew up in the eighties and nineties, you know, there was so much like um teaching i felt like i received on picking up your cross and carrying your cross and the focus of that was on suffering and martyrdom and like you know that was when everybody was running to the abortion clinics and fighting and mm -hmm. and it was a lot of that and it, it that was what they kind of focused on it seemed to me or what i received about the cross and so mm -hmm. that language wow as opposed to the living a cross-shaped life language and the cruciform uh, life and staying on the cross instead rather than picking up the cross and carrying it it hits differently yeah and i'm trying to figure out what it is about it that hits differently and i don't know if it's because the focus on suffering was incomplete mm. because jesus ended up on the cross because of how he served people mm. he suffered that week for sure but he ended up there because of the way he served people so mm. i don't i don't know like i think that's that's maybe where it's hitting differently because it's in the joy was in the serving people through his death and through his resurrection mm -hmm. because it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross and so there's just this thread of joy in there that I'm wanting to find. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if you practice, if you practice um, life from a, uh, if you practice, let's call it the politics of hope, as mm -hmm. opposed to the mm -hmm. politics of fear, 
you're you're mm-hmm. already on an entirely different playing field. Yeah. So I I'm with you, Suze. Like, I to carrying up your cross meant you're just going to suffer for Jesus. And mm-hmm. now to me, it means my goal isn't to use what I've been given to uh, and my rights and prerogatives to exploit them in order to gain more. They're to be leveraged in a self yeah. kind of expended sort of way um, to be a blessing to others. And I know all of that is super cliche, mm-hmm. but what a radical reorientation of one's life away from my dreams, I'm just believing myself, you know, blah, 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 to, okay, so I, I have been given so freaking much. How does, how does this mm-hmm. self-expending, what does this look like in my life? And obviously part of that is how we engage in um, family or singleness or, you know, students and work, but it's, uh, it's so much bigger than that. And that's where I think the yeah. political process yeah. um, <clears throat> is super a super practical way and we naturally make the tie um between our christian identity and how we should vote as christians and um i just want to i just want to slow slow down that role enough to go no i think what what my, the resistance of power over everywhere is the distinguishing mm-hmm. mark of the kingdom and the children of the kingdom yeah and um and so is it possible to vote in a way that you're voting for the marginalized and advocating for absolutely absolutely but your vote at that point isn't it's not your identity it's a simple extension of how you live against the powers and principalities all the time realizing that 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 every kingdom of the world behind that kingdom sits the powers and authorities right there is no perfect expression of the kingdom of the world even though we prefer the american one so mm-hmm. we're wise enough to not put our hope in that, but we are committed to the pursuit of justice enough that we do participate. That's all I got. And we're done. Yeah. We're done. Put a fork in us. Susie Lind. You can follow Susie Lind on the tweets and on Instagram. Tweets. Yep. So find her there. Back she- to social media again, Mike. You're just like the number one advocate. I'm a... I'm a I didn't know. I thought you were quitting social media. Oh, I am. the The plans have been in in uh, in motion for a very long time, so it's a slow roll away. Um, the problem is, of course, that like part of the job sort of demands it, and so how do we, you know, allow people to connect and pay attention and listen to the audience yeah. and what's going on in the world without it? So. That's that's where Plus, I'm. Plus, wouldn't to... you miss Beth Moore if you got off Twitter? She's amazing. <laughs> She's she is absolutely my favorite. I've never seen someone like become a pastor of a zillion different people from every totally. different denominational background imaginable. Totally. Oh, so good. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. Through not fighting back. Right, but she's resisting. She resists, but, but, but she doesn't. She resists she doesn't in a really cruciform that way. That's her. right. Exactly. Yeah. She doesn't fight. No. Oh, it's so refreshing. But she does do a really good job of responding to them with yeah. such great wit that is like. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Very Jesus y. Goals, people. Goals. Yep. <laughs> What's that? It's all backwards. Says, nevertheless, Never. she persisted. Yes. 
All right, kids. Thank you for having me. Yep. Thank you for being here. Always half. fun. Absolutely. <laughs> Susie, you're the best. Anyway, uh, Voxology folks, thanks for putting up with almost two hours of nonsense. And um, evidently, we need to go listen to the Holy Post episode with uh, Robert Roberts. <laughs> Robert Roberts Bob and Robert Roberts. Roberts. All right. Till next time. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us